welcome to the Andy Man Podcast. I'm Andy. And I'm Andy. This is a podcast about who we are, where we are, and what happened along the way. How you doing tonight, Andy? I'm doing good. Yeah, we just got past COVID in our family, so we are on the up and up, and we are feeling pretty good. Even though we're in the dungeon. We are in the dungeon, but I'm feeling good. (laughs) (laughs) I was supposed to say something about coming at you from the dungeon in our introduction, and I totally blew it. So we got to start over? Nah. Okay, good. (laughs) I see you got your big Bible out there. Are we going to be turning pages? Wait, I can't say that. That's from another podcast. It is. I don't know what you're talking about, though, but I'm... (laughs) <laughs> just thinking, the Just Thinking okay. podcast. They they say, "Yeah, I'm Just Thinking podcast." We're turning pages, and they open their Bibles and they start turning pages. We just say stuff that we hope sticks. So, yeah, there we go. Yep. That that maybe that's going to be our tagline. <laughs> just talking about stuff, and we hope it sticks. Yep. So <laughs> we're pretty good at that so far, I think. So, but so what are we doing tonight? Yeah, well, this episode is called Microscopic Giants. And this was inspired by a sermon I heard a number of weeks ago, probably a few months ago now. And it was about David and Goliath. And we've all heard the story, and we know that we're all familiar with it. We know that uh, you know David was this you know underdog against this big giant, and, and nobody, everybody else was afraid of him. And David wasn't, even though he was a, a teenager and and not very big he was able to take down the giant and it wasn't a challenge for him he just was just you know flung a rock at him and it was it the common understanding of this is that david was the underdog in this and from the sermon that i heard he completely flipped it and made me think about it in a completely different way was that because god was on david's side goliath was this really tiny being and he was actually the underdog and that's why he lost. And I thought a lot about it over the past, you know, few months. And I thought it was really profound. Like it, it's just, you know, well, how does that apply to my life? Well, you know, we all face giants. You know, whatever they are, it doesn't have to be a nine foot something tall guy that has a spear in his hand. You know, it could be just life. So <laughs> or his wife. Or his <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> These giants, you know, like we, we know, we all face them, and, and a lot of them could be like self-inflicted. Some of them just come naturally, you know, and, and they're they're all like just there, and they happen. And um, how, how do we deal with those? And that that's you know, sometimes we struggle. Like if if there's a giant in front of me, like I don't know what's gonna happen. Like I'm, I can, I, I forget that I have God on my side. I forget that He is with me, and I worry. I become anxious, mm. and. Um, well, what, what about you, Andy? What do you think? Definitely, I think. I concur. I concur. <laughs> I've got a limerick that I wrote that uses the word concur. Yeah? I, an attractive attorney named Roxy had a husband not handsome or foxy, but a judge did concur that when stood next to her, the husband was handsome by proxy. Ah. <laughs> what does that have to do with microscopic giants? Absolutely, Absolutely nothing. nothing. But that's all right. Yeah. We're just hitting record and they're going and we're yeah, going to see if it sticks. Exactly, exactly. That's what we do here. 
So, so yeah, there's the biggest my self-inflicted microscopic giant that I faced so far was the end of my second marriage. And um, I, I tried to convince myself that she and I were going to be together for the rest of our lives, or for at least less to, for the rest of one of our lives. You know, almost invariably one goes before the other. Every once in a while, you both might go at the same time. But I was convinced, or at least I was trying to convince myself that we were going to make it through the long haul, and it just didn't happen. Um, I, I've mentioned it before. Um, I'll go into a little more detail now, do you think? Yeah, I'll go into a little detail about what happened. One night I was cleaning my uh, my rifle downstairs in the basement. And she comes down and confesses that I've been unfaithful twice. Tears running down her face. And, and uh, you know, I didn't think about it right away. I think it took me two days to realize I actually had a, a loaded gun in my hand because that was my home that was my home defense gun that I had just gotten done cleaning. So I had loaded it up. It was live. Mm. I could have racked around and shot her right then and there. Oof. But I didn't think about it for at least two days that I could have done that. It didn't even occur to me in the moment. I was upset that how upset she was. But as it turns out, she wasn't so upset that she was unfaithful. She was upset that she had been caught and that her daughter was making her confess to me. That's what she was really upset about. At any rate, that whole relationship came crashing down around my ears. And that song by Jason Gray, oh, what's the name of it? I can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head. Maybe it'll come to me later. Where he's talking about, um, he's got a line in there, the, the house is burning down and I'm just sitting in the ashes and I don't really need someone to sit there and tell me what I did wrong. I just need someone to be there with me. Mm -hmm. And that song, that song was very applicable to me in that point in my life. <laughs> just like in a dungeon, there are background noises. Yep. I don't know if anyone heard that. Where was I? Oh, the Jason Gray song. Yeah, I was. I was a. Com I was a basket case. I was a complete basket case. Um, in the year or so, maybe two years leading up to this incident, every once in a while I had this thought that you know, if if this relationship with this woman ends, I'm probably just going to go off the deep end. Go, you know, go full bore, prostitutes, crazy sex, all that stuff. I kind of thought that that's what well, was going to happen to me. But um, when it actually happened, I think Jesus saved me, you know, literally, in more ways than one. Because th there was something inside of me and I believe that was the Spirit of God saying, this isn't going to end you. 
this isn't, and you're not going to go off the rails here either. You're not going to go off the deep end. You're going to make it through this, and you'll be okay. You just have to find me. I think is kind of how it came across to me. But there was a giant, in my mind, in my eyes, it was a giant to overcome, a giant obstacle of her infidelity and the way she treated me during that whole incident. I mean, it was about six months between the time that she confessed to me and I remember one night lying there in bed next to her and she had been going out nights, weekend nights, till one, two, three o'clock in the morning, coming home in the middle of the night. And I never tried to stop her from doing that. Um, never really asked her what she was doing, never really confronted her. But I remember one night just saying, will you stop please? Will you stop doing this? And she said yes, but she kept doing it anyway. And so it got to the point where I had to move out. And she was saying, I don't know if I want to be married to you. She, we did this thing, oh, what was it called? Some sort of, we went to see a counselor about um, breaking up, basically a breaking up counseling session. Or, and, or helping helping her decide whether or not she wanted to continue in the marriage. And she waffled for about six months. And during that time, that was horrible. It got to the point where I, I said, you know, I just got to, I, I can't live here with you while you're doing this. I can't live here while you're going back and forth trying to make up your mind. So I, I found a room to rent. And um, I took the laptop with me, and that was when I found that she had put a profile up on a website specifically for cheating spouses. Specifically. And their claim was, it, it, they, they had some sort of lame claim about it's not as bad as you think it is. And... and it took me a while to realize exactly what it was I was looking at because it just popped up when I opened up a web browser because she has it she had it synchronized with her web browser on her phone so the computer would pull up the last website she was on on her phone and it was all signed into her account so I saw the whole thing the whole thing uh, how she was sending flirty messages to these men on this website. And I was devastated, absolutely destroyed, completely destroyed. And, you know, it kind of hurts remembering that. I haven't thought of that in quite a while until just now. It's part of the giant obstacle I had to overcome in order to forgive her and to move on. And to... Well, it was also kind of a giant to just let her go. 
and let her, you know, let her do what she wants to do. I, I pretty quickly realized that I couldn't change her, couldn't make her do anything. And then I realized that, well, even if I could, I don't want to, because then I would never know whether she freely chose to be with me or not. I would always have that suspicion of, did I manipulate her into doing this? And how long will, I mean, and that, that would, that, and by extension, that would put the pressure on me to continue that manipulation. And I did not want to do that. So I had to work out how to forgive her, how to move on. You know, I had to find a place to live, found a room to rent. It's quite comfortable and had to keep moving forward. Then eventually I found a roommate to live with, with Josh. Yep. And that was probably one of the, that was the best thing that God sent my way to defeat this giant, I think, in a lot of ways. Just sitting there talking every week with Josh about whatever. Just like you and I do. Just like you and I do. We did, Josh and I did the same thing. And... Unlike David, bringing down my giant wasn't just a, it wasn't a single shot. I have to keep working at it. And every once in a while this giant raises its head trying to come back to life, you know, manner of speaking. Because I still love her. And until I decide not to love her, it's going to hurt when things come up. Like, like what I'm remembering right now. This hurts, talking about this, because I haven't thought about it in such a long time. It doesn't hurt nearly as much as it used to. But I made it. I you made, made it. it. You made had God on your side the whole time. Had God, still have God on my side. Uh, I made it through suicidal thoughts. There were times, you know, she might think that I thought a lot about using the gun on her. Only once did I think about it. And then I realized, no, if I do it now, it would be premeditated and the prison sentence would be a lot worse. No, I'm, I'm, that's not worth it. I thought more about using that gun on myself more than I did on her. Hmm. It was pre-traumatic pre for you then. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. But yeah, that's quite the giant there, man. Like I'm, I'm glad you're you're here, and I'm glad that you, you're getting through it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so me too. Um, well, my giant is something a little bit. We all I have multiple giants, but but one that's really a huge obstacle for my family right now is that my my two boys have been uh, diagnosed with uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Uh, let me say that again: Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and uh, for those of you who don't, don't know what it is, it is a, simply put, a muscle wasting disease. Uh, all their muscles are going to get weaker and weaker over time. They're not able to, uh, I guess, build back that muscle again. Um, and eventually they won't be able to walk. They won't be able to, to really move much. Um, and it, it's, it's scary. It's scary thinking about what, what will likely happen. Um, but I know that God is bigger than that. I, I don't know how it's going to work out in the end, exactly. I'm I'm hopeful and, and 
prayerful and, and everything. I, I, I have confidence that something can happen with this. I don't know exactly what that is, but I know that God is bigger than muscular dystrophy. And it's a challenge for, for all of us. You know, I, I know, I know this is also a huge giant for my boys and it's a bigger giant for them. Like they're dealing with it, like head on, it affects their body. You know, they're the ones that are slowing down. They're the ones that are struggling physically. Um, and that takes a toll mentally too. Like, I don't know. I mean, they, I can't imagine what they're thinking right now. And it's hard as a dad seeing that. And, you know, as my fam family deals with this, we are happy that we have a huge support system. And that's one way that we think God is helping us through the situation uh, with this family and friends that support us. And we've, we've met other families that are going through exactly the same thing. And that is a huge encouragement for us and, and my boys. And so we're, we're going to just remain hopeful. We're going to keep praying every day for, for healing and for answers. And, you know, there's lots of talk about the potential treatments out there and, and, and we're putting a lot of hope in that. You know, I, we, I believe in God, but I also believe in science. I don't think they contradict each other at all. <laughs> um, so we're, we're, we're putting a lot of hope in both of them right now. So, uh, we're, we're praying and we're hoping and we'll see what happens. You know, just before we started recording, I was telling you about that that total truth book I'm starting to read. Mm -hmm. And this is what you just mentioned is actually directly addressed by Nancy Piercy in that book. This whole idea that science and faith are two separate things and belong in different realms of of thought process. She totally destroys that idea, and that idea has been completely ingrained into our society. The idea that science and religion don't mix. The earliest scientists were led there by their faith. Yeah. And it's I'd really like to see that change in our in our society. And that that's kind of a giant right there. Yeah. Changing that that cultural mindset that science and faith are diametrically opposed. They aren't. Yeah, I mean, God created all the scientific laws and all that. So it's like, it, it, it doesn't contradict each other to say, no. you know, I believe in science and I believe in God. Like it's just, it's, No, there is no contradiction so. there. But because of our cultural mindset exactly. that we've grown up with, we all think it, whether we really think it or not. Um, the latest chapter I've been re reading is about evolution and, and countering evolutionary ideas. And the thing that I've learned the most from that is when you boil it down, evolution is a philosophy. It's actually not a science because it starts with the assumption that everything is material and natural, which is a philosophical stance, not a scientific one. Because you're starting with an assumption. It's all built on a worldview. Well, uh, but there's also like macro evolution and micro evolution, and you know, on, on a smaller yeah. so we we see you know things evolving, changing, changing, but they change back. 
Or, or they just change into well, why are we talking about evolution? I don't know. Well, it's a giant. It is a it is a giant in our society. Yeah, evolution is the predominant mindset of all education, almost all educational uh, establishments, institutions. Yeah. Even in Christian schools, evolution yeah. is taught as a viable theory, but it isn't. Really, it isn't. When you strip away. By their own words, evolutionists throw out even the possibility of a supernatural explanation for things that are going on around them. They're not even willing to consider that possibility. Rather than following the truth wherever it leads them, they, they automatically throw out a complete set of possible ends and then manufacture an explanation that fits their their previously accepted realm of possibility, which doesn't include anything supernatural. Right, and I think the, I guess the biggest giant thing that evolutionists would have, or I don't want to say evolutionists, but like a, like a big, like a big bang theorist, like, is, they, they believe life started out of nothing. You can't right. get, you can't get life out of nothing. Life always comes from life. Yeah. And, which tells me, like there has to be a eternal being somewhere, a source of that life. Yeah, an yeah. uncaused cause. And right. what is that uncaused cause? Well, I believe it's God. Like I think I believe in the it creation really story. Like I, if, I don't. If you use your reason and logic, it can't be anything else. There's really no other remotely viable explanation right either life comes from life or it comes from non-life you can't it, there's, only, there's only two options right so and the only one that makes sense i think i think science proves it that life comes from life but we should maybe de devote like an entire episode to to this i think it's i love the topic i love the issue that so we'll bring, we'll come back to this at come another, back to evolution some other time absolutely this yeah. is a huge thing i love this i'm like I wasn't prepared for this right now. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> but, but we'll come back to this for sure at a later date. But let's bring it back to our microscopic giants. Yeah. Um, so we, we have some verses we want to go through. And Andy, you picked out one that doesn't have to do with David and Goliath. Um, from Second Kings 6, 8-17. Uh, do, would you like to read this? Yeah, then, I'll read that. Perfect. And then what? We'll talk about it. Okay. See what sticks. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army, 
surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servants said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Why did I pick that out? This was a while ago when I picked, we first set this up, wasn't it? <laughs> but I think I know why. It's because of that verse 17 where Elisha prays, opened his eyes, and then the servant's eyes were opened, and he saw the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The armies of the king of Syria were dwarfed by the armies of the Lord. And when we are facing a giant... Or an army. Or an army. Or a giant army. <laughs> yep. Or an army of giants. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Lord, we, we, we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes and show us what the truth is. And the truth is the Lord is higher and mightier than anything man can put together. I love it. I and love it. I think one of the reasons I, I like this is because... In our political realm right now, I, the forces of evil seem to have all the money, all the power, all the influence, all the guns, because they've got the army, supposedly, we'll see, I don't know. I, in a lot of ways, feel like the, the servant of Elisha looking out over the parapet walls at the army of Syria going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Elisha's saying, Lord, open his eyes. And so we need to open our eyes and see that the army that surrounds us is surrounded by an even greater army. Yeah, when I was like first going through, I guess I'll say when I first started my recovery process with you know, my porn addiction, um, my wife and I went to a counselor, he's a Christian counselor, and he knew that I was like really struggling with what I was facing, these mm. giants I was facing. And he looked at me and he says, Andy, Jesus is still on the throne. And I, I and it's another one of those statements where it just kind of hit me. It's like one of those things where I needed to hear at that time in my life. Oh, sure. And I'm like, man, God is still in control. Doesn't matter what's going on in my life, he is still in control. Like, he is still there. He's, and I've learned recently that he, is, he was by my side that whole time. And just knowing that he is still in control of what happens. I mean, he allows things to happen, no doubt. You know, he allowed my kids to get muscular dystrophy. He allows things to happen. I mean, these giants that we're facing, some of us are self-inflicted, yet he is still with us. He is still in control. Mm -hmm. And so... Sometimes things happen that aren't self-inflicted, and he allows that, too. Yeah, things are beyond our control and they still happen. Right. So. Well, going back to the political thing, I would not say that the current administration is something that was beyond our control. Uh, I don't know who said it. I wish I could recall this quote off the top of my head. But someone said, um, you get the government you deserve. The American people will get the government they deserve 
And that's why we need to be well-educated and a moral people. Mm -hmm. the, the people that get elected into office will reflect the moral and spiritual makeup of the nation. Yeah, and, and right now, like, you and I talk all the time about politics. Yep. We have our issues with the way things are. And, and you know, Joe Biden and others are, like, for me, like, easy targets. Like, it's easy for me to pick on them and to complain about them. Yep. But then, when was the last time I prayed for them? I can't remember. When was the last time you prayed before you voted? Yeah. Yeah. Or actually, I am absolutely guilty of this. Going into the polling place without really a good idea of who the candidates are, where they stand on the issues, and I'll just go down the line and vote behind, put a check mark behind everyone who's got the quote unquote right letter behind their name. And so I am absolutely responsible in a small, my way for where we are today because mm -hmm. I was an apathetic voter. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, for, for me, like, I know our pilot episode, I said, you know, let's go, Brandon. You know, we, we all know what that <laughs> means. It's, it's easy to say it. It's kind of fun. and Yeah. But then I was thinking about it. I'm like, man, it's like, I need to pray for President Joe Biden. I mean, whether we like that or not. As a person. Absolutely. Yeah. We pray, pray that he has, has wisdom, that he starts making better decisions. Um, but, but we can also pray against the... Uh, the uh, the agenda of the current administration because it is an evil agenda, and we can pray biblically yeah. that this administration comes to an end sooner than sooner than later. That this administration fails in in doing what they're trying to do. Yeah, because, and I think people are waking up. But people are starting to see this, and I think people. Yep. I think the church is waking up a little bit too, which yep. is which would be helpful. Very good. And but it needs to start with repentance. I need to repent of my apathy that I've had for the the political climate of this country. I didn't want to get involved in politics. It's dirty. I don't want to be dirty. Besides, I belong to the kingdom of heaven, which is in another world altogether. You know, Jesus said, my kingdom isn't of this world. And so I had this idea that, you know, I'm not supposed to mess around with this world. Well, Jesus also said something to the effect of, uh, uh, no, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the proclamation that Peter made that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that spiritual truth works its works out not only in the spiritual realm but in the temporal realm the physical realm that we walk and move around in all the time we are supposed to conquer a couple of verses i want to go over uh, first one is john 16:33 and this applies to exactly what we're talking about there is a lot going on in this world and a lot of them are troublesome for us or fearful whatever you want to call it like uh john sixteen thirty three says these things i have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world 
And so that's Jesus talking. That's Jesus talking. Yeah, it's, he's already overcome the world, and he is with us. He's on our side. So knowing that, I think we can go forward in life in confidence that because he is on our side, things are going to work out in the end, and we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to just fall apart, you know, because of something that looks like a giant to us has already been overcome. Uh, to, to Christ Jesus, uh, and also First uh, John four, one through four says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone in, out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist." which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if you, if you look at something that's like lopsided, I mean, how great is God compared to a, a minor false prophet? Like, what? what it's so lopsided, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And even even looking at um, people with lots of power and money and influence, they really they have nothing in comparison to the one who's already conquered the world, Jesus. Amen. Exactly. He owns. He he made everything. He created everything. Literally belongs to him. And that that and that's where the old um, feudal system went wrong. They, they tried to assign ownership to a king, saying the king owns all this land and therefore he can rule it and tell everyone who lives on it what they can do and what they can't do. Je Jesus is the true king and he's the one that really rules the world. He has conquered it and he is really the one that gets to tell us what to do and what not to do. And he even conquered death. He even conquered death. He, yeah, that says it all right there, doesn't it? Yep, and we win. <laughs> and we win. So We win. So even if things don't go the way we think they should go right here, right now, we still win in the end. And that's our hope. And it says, here it says, we already have overcome them. Yep. So, yeah. so it's hard to think about that. You know, I tend to be pessimistic. I tend to catastrophize situations, the worst case scenario type of guy, you know, but you know, when I when I think of the what God has done, you know, he saved me, you know, he's overcome the world, like all these good things. And we can just live go for it in confidence. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, there there are a lot of obvious examples out there of you know, perhaps you're listening to this podcast and you're facing a a giant, a microscopic giant, I should say. Uh it, but but it's could be something like a financial struggle maybe you lost your job maybe it's a covid thing maybe it's a health issue maybe it's a a relational issue or an addiction maybe you're facing really bad consequences for a decision you made um, but still those giants pale in comparison to the greatness of god and his 
greatness and his his mercy and his loving kindness and his power and his power absolutely and his wisdom mm-hmm. all these good things I mean he is the sort James one seventeen I think is the exact reference one of the few passages I've actually memorized at least to some degree every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of Lights and one of those good and perfect gifts is winning we've already conquered this world yes and we have lots of good things I, I think one of the things that helped me overcome the giant of the end of my relationship with my second wife was was remembering and taking time to remember the good things that I did have being grateful mm. we should talk about that sometime being grateful being absolutely grateful. Absolutely. Maybe even the next episode. Think, what do you think? I think you're right. Let's do it. <laughs> We're only a couple of days away um, after Thanksgiving, so it would be very apropos. Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. So, anything else you want to talk about as far as microscopic giants go? Well, we got a little note here that says it's okay to ask for help. It is okay to yeah, Absolutely, yeah. How about that? I mean, like the... The, the servant for Elisha going to Elisha and saying, what are we going to do? That was kind of a form of asking for yep. help. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely, it's good to ask for help. Uh, it's been my experience, and I think this is a, a good idea generally, to seek help from someone who has the same spiritual, religious ideology, worldview that you have. Mm-hmm. If I... I I went to a secular therapist for a while, a long time ago during my first marriage, and that probably actually helped contribute to the end of that marriage. He wanted us, he wanted me to come to a, a men's group and sit around in a circle and, and bang on drums as part of my my treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that did, might help somebody, but not, not you. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure I even agree with that it would help somebody. Okay. Um, it might make them feel good for a little while, but does it really help? I'm not convinced that it would. Okay, yeah. Um, develop a, a sense of camaraderie between those other men and stuff, but it doesn't point you to the truth of Christ unless someone specifically points to the truth of Christ in the midst of that drumming, which could happen. Yeah, like my wife and I chose to see this counselor, this marriage counselor, and he challenged me that you know, Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Like I remember that like yeah. vividly in my mind. Like it was this that that's an example of reaching out for help. Yep. And you know, I wouldn't have heard that if we didn't reach out for help. Yep. And and you and I both need help, brother. So speak for yourself. <laughs> So. Yes, I need help. I need lots of help. I'm trying to get, train my cats to clean and cook and do laundry, and they're not cooperating. Get rid of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I think we're done with this episode. Okay. I think uh, I think that was a good one. Well, we'll see. You. I'm sure you have a, your work cut out for you editing that one, but uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's going to realize it was edited. Uh, well, if you're uh, good at editing, maybe they won't. That's kind of the point. That's good, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, let's close off with our passage. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. This is the Andy Man Podcast. I'm Andy. And I'm Andy. Signing out. From the dungeon. From the dungeon. (laughs) Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.